Well, I'm excited to be back. It is good to see you guys. Uh, I've been off. My, my family and I have been off for the last two weeks. We've been on vacation. Uh, and it is, it is really good to be back and, and see your faces. You guys have been in my, my prayers. You guys have been on my mind. You guys have been on my heart. Many of you I've been thinking about just past conversations and even situations that you've shared. And I've spent the last two weeks really pleading with the Lord on your behalf. And it, it's good to just be back in the house of God. Anybody excited to see your brothers and sisters this, this afternoon? And man, you were in good hands, though, with uh, Pastor Ernest Grant from our sister church, Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia. Can we thank God for Pastor Ern? And Pastor A.J. Smith last week from Restoration Church in Philadelphia. Grateful for him. As a pastor, it is a great feeling to know you can be 3,000 miles away, but know that the gospel is still being preached and proclaimed here uh, every week. And I, I'm just, man, I, I'm grateful, grateful for friends that are faithful to the word of God, love preaching, love their families, love talking about Jesus. Uh, I'm just grateful, grateful for that. Uh, speaking, about, speaking about preaching the word, why don't you grab your Bibles and run to Judges. It's the seventh book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then you'll get to Judges. Once you're in Judges, if you could run over to uh, chapter 16 is where we're going to spend our time. Uh, let me quickly just uh, say a quick word about our 6 a.m. prayer in the morning. I forgot to say it in our first service, so y'all text them in the first service and say, uh, I'm really looking for everybody to be here. Those of you who can be here, I know it's a sacrifice. Like I, I know some of y'all got to go to work, and that's crunch time. Some of y'all can't make it because of work. Some of y'all can only make a half an hour of it. We'll be here for an hour from 6 to 7. Maybe you can only make it from 6 to 6.30. Uh, but if you could meet us here at 6 a.m., I promise you I, we will not be starting late. At 6 o'clock, we will be on our knees, and we will be praying for those, those of you who can make it, and we'll pray for that hour. Uh, it will be some guided prayer. I'll be here. So I, I'm hoping to see everybody, those of you who can make it. So if you can, let me also quickly express my affections and gratitude for all of our volunteers and our leaders over the last two weeks that held things down uh, in my absence while I was gone. Uh, it is good to know that Jesus is the head of this church and it doesn't fall apart when uh, the lead pastor is not here. Uh, I'm not holding it together anyway, and that's proof. Of the last two weeks, everything continued to operate. So grateful for our leaders and our volunteers and everyone who served. It did not go unnoticed. Uh, why don't you pick me up in verse 15? We're in Judges chapter 16. If you're writing notes, we'll be in verse 15 to verse 22. Verse 15 says, and she, talking about Delilah, said to him, talking about Samson, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard, with her words day after day, and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart, and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become like and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me his heart. 
Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought her money in her hand, in their hand. She made him sleep on her knees and she called the man in and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Y'all know she trifling for that, right? <laughs> then she began to torment him and said, and his strength left him. Verse 20. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. Underline this phrase. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. And he ground and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shekels. And he ground at the mill in prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. I want to preach this afternoon from the topic entitled Rising Above Your Weakness. Rising Above Your Weakness. Let's pray. Father, one of the things that I'm confident that all of us in this room have in common is that we all have a weakness. Some of us, if we're honest, we, we know exactly what that weakness is. Some of us are naive to dealing with that weakness. Some of us uh, know what the weakness is, but yet we play with it. We, we're not serious about it. Lord, would you help us to realize that that weakness has the ability to take us out? Would you show us, oh God, Christ in this text? Would you show us our deepest need for him? May the gospel be clear and proclaimed and may it transform hearts. In Christ's name we do pray. Let everybody say amen. amen. Rising above your weakness. Uh, in the off season, my sophomore year of high school, I played football all four years, uh, freshman year all the way to my senior year. And my sophomore year, before the season started in the preseason, a group of us said that we were going to play some games just to get ourselves, run some routes and stuff just to get ourselves uh, ready for the, for the full season. And when we started to do that, when we started to practice, I bought some new cleats and I said, I'm going to try them on, I'm going to practice in them. And I go out on the field and these cleats were sharp. They were, they were a little bit thicker than the, the cleats itself were a little thicker than my normal cleats. And when I was practicing, I planted my foot into the ground so deep that when I turned my body, my foot stuck in the ground, but my body made the turn. And needless to say, I severely sprained my ankle. I'm talking, they, they call it grade three sprain. It was a severe sprain, almost needed surgery, but it healed itself in a cast. And so I needed a cast for two weeks. And when I took the hard cast off, they gave me a soft cast for another several weeks. And when I took the soft cast off, after having weeks of not really having mobility in that ankle, I looked at both of my ankles and they did not look the same. One of my ankles looked regular, the other one was abnormally skinny. I'm talking skin and bone to the point where I was nervous. And I, I said to the doctor, doc, is this, is this right? Is this ever going to heal? Is it ever going to look the same? And the doctor assured me that with therapy and putting weight on it and using it again, that the muscles would uh, and the tendons, they would start to heal themselves and they would, you know, the ankle would start to work as normal. And she said something very profound to me, this doctor. She said, we have to get that ankle back in order because no matter how strong your other ankle is, you will always be limited by your weakness. Now, just in case you think I'm still talking about my ankle, I'm now talking about your life. 
Your life is the same way. It doesn't matter how strong you are in other areas. It doesn't matter how faithful you are in prayer. It doesn't matter if you've gone through the, all books of the Bible in a one-year plan and you did it twice this year because you were really dedicated. It doesn't matter. If you are weak in one area and you are not overcoming that weakness, you are not addressing that weakness, no one has accountability to you with that weakness, it will take you out. And here's the reality. You may be getting away with it for now. No one may know. Maybe it's a secret weakness. You're kind of slipping. You're like uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and you have, you know, you're here, and you look one way, and then you go home, and you're dabbling in your weakness, and you think that because you haven't been consequenced yet that you're getting away with it, but your weakness always catches up with you. Weakness has taken down many strong men. Weakness has taken down many strong women. Weakness has taken down many politicians and pastors and comedians and athletes. Weakness has destroyed marriages. Weaknesses has made your spiritual life crumble. Weaknesses have the ability to take you out. And it doesn't matter how strong you think you are. You're like my ankle that has no, if no weight gets on it, if it doesn't have attention to it, it has the ability to limit even the strength. And that's what weakness does. Weakness has the ability to overshadow strengths. Doesn't matter how strong you are, your weakness always will take you out. Well, if you want proof that weakness can take down even strong people, look no further than the passage we just read this morning. Here you have a passage with the strongest man in the Bible is taken down because of his weakness. Now, I want to introduce you to a couple of characters that are named in this passage. One of them is Samson. Many of you might have read about him or talked about him if you went to Sunday school, if you grew up in church and you grew up with a mama that made you go to Sunday school. You might have heard about this story with Samson. Uh, Samson is from the tribe of Dan. He has a father named Manoah. His wife is unnamed in the Bible. We do not know Manoah's wife, Samson's mother. We do not know her name. All we know is that Manoah's wife is barren. She cannot have kids. But like most barren women in the Bible, she gets an angelic visitation. And the angel comes down and says, you will have a baby. You will have a son. But he doesn't just tell her you're going to have a son. He gives her a set of restrictions. He tells the mother, not Samson, he tells the mother, when you're carrying this child, here's what you can eat and here's what you cannot eat. He tells the mother, here's what you can drink and here's what you cannot drink. And the reason for the restrictions is because she's not just carrying any old baby. She's carrying a Nazarite. Someone look at your neighbor and say, what is a Nazarite? Y'all got to wake up. You look at your other neighbor and say, what is a Nazarite? My job is to explain what a Nazarite is. A Nazarite is is a person that is consecrated. It could be a man, it could be a woman. It's a person that is consecrated and devoted completely to the Lord. If you want to know more about Nazarites, what a Nazarite is, in your devotion time, read Numbers chapter 6. Write that down. Numbers chapter 6 explains what a Nazarite is. And there's really three restrictions for a Nazarite. Every Nazarite has three restrictions. And you can be called to be a Nazarite like Samson was, or you can desire to be a Nazarite. And if you desire to be a Nazarite, in Old Testament times, you had to adhere to these three restrictions. First restriction is this. If you're writing notes, you could not touch a dead body. No Nazarite, because if you touched a dead body, you would become unclean. So you couldn't touch a dead body. The second restriction is a Nazarite had to abstain from alcoholic 
beverages. Won't you look at your neighbor and say, you are disqualified. <laughs> oh, y'all being deep this morning. Come on, y'all be honest. You are disqualified. There, Nazarite is not in your future, and it's okay. The second one is you had to abstain from alcoholic beverages. The third and final major restriction for every Nazarite is a Nazarite could not cut their hair. So what we have in our text here is Samson, who is, understand this, faithful to what the restrictions are. You do not see, you do not see Samson touch a dead body. You do not see Samson uh, drink any alcoholic beverages. And I'll go so far as to say you do not see Samson shaving his head. He gets bamboozled, but you do not see. He's faithful to what the restrictions are because he realizes the covenant in order to be a Nazarite. But even though he's physically strong and because he is a Nazarite, God gave him some extraordinary strength. And the strength that he has is for him to lead the army of Israel in their fight against the Philistines. And so there is, you know, there is nobody that has ever beat Samson. He's strong. He's a mighty man. God gave him extra power. If you want to know how strong he is, look back two chapters at Judges chapter 14. The Bible says he literally rips a lion apart with his bare hands. That's how strong he is. And so the Bible chose, chose us here. Samson's a Nazarite. Samson has crazy strength. But even though he's physically strong, he's spiritually weak. He's bound by a serious weakness. And the weakness that he has is not men. He, he's beaten every man. The weakness that he has is women. Now, there's another woman that is named in our text, and her name is Delilah. Now, Delilah is one of those names, if you're having a child, you, you just don't name your daughter Delilah. You don't name her Delilah. You don't name her Jezebel. And we do not name boys Judas. You just, those are three names that are off limits. You just don't do it. Because Delilah here comes with a serious reputation. Samson is the strongest man in the Bible. The Philistines are, are tired of him always winning battles. They're tired of him always defeating them. But they find out his weakness, so they go to Delilah and they say, we'll give you 1,100 pieces of silver if you can find out his weakness. She takes the 1,100 pieces of silver and she goes on a journey. And her journey, several times, She's persistently going after Samson to find out where his weakness is. The first time she comes to him, she says, baby, tell me where your weakness is. And he, he tells her, he lies to her. He says to her, if you tie me up with seven fresh bowstrings, seven fresh bowstrings, if you tie me up, I'll become like other men. I'll be weak. He goes to sleep. She ties him up. He wakes up. The room is filled with Philistines, but because he lied to her, he breaks free of the seven fresh bowstrings and he defeats the Philistines. Here's the crazy thing. She then comes to him again and she says, listen, you lied to me. Don't lie to me. Tell me where your strength lies. He says, OK, baby, I, I know I lied to you the first time, but, but here's the truth. If you tie me up with new rope, then I will become weak. He goes to sleep. She gets new rope. She ties him up. The room fills with Philistines. He wakes up, but because he lied to her a second time, he breaks free and defeats the Philistines. Here's persistency. She comes to him a third time. And the third time she comes to him, she says, why do you keep lying to me? Don't do me like that. Tell me where your strength lies. 
And he decides that he's going to lie to her again. And this time he says, if you braid my hair, I'll become weak. He wakes up and he has cornrows and a fresh do-rag on. <laughs> tied it to the back, folded it up real nice so it's not hanging, you know, dangling, you know, anything like that. And, and, and because he lied to her, the room fills up with Philistines. He bounds them up, defeats them. And she comes to him, this is crazy, a fourth time. Now, I don't know if you're noticing the persistency in which she is using. She, at all costs, is going to find his weakness. And let me just pause there and tell you, there is something after your weakness, too. Don't read this story and just be like, man, Samson's dumb. No, something's after you. Like, hear me. You may think, you may think that you're ignoring the cycles that is after you, but you cannot... Do not be ignorant to what is after you because something is after you and something is persistently after you. And it doesn't matter how faithful you are. It doesn't matter how big your Bible is. It doesn't matter how much you read the Bible. It doesn't matter how much scripture you memorize. Something is always consistently until you go home to be with the Lord going to be after trying to find what your weakness is. Earlier when I started preaching, I said, man, many of us know our weakness. Some of you in here, can I, if you wrote it down, you know exactly what your weakness is. That area, the enemy is constantly after. And you may have a good season right now. He may not be after it right now. He may be letting you slide, maybe letting you get your spiritual game up. But after a while, Delilah creeps back in. And let me tell you something about Delilah. Like, don't look at this. Don't, you know, brothers, don't be like, man, I just got to watch out for Delilah. And sisters be like, man, I'm off because this is a woman that's, you know. No, Delilah's not really a gender. Delilah's really a spirit. Like, there's a lot of male Delilahs out there. Okay, let me, let me, let me go this way. Your laptop can be a Delilah. Delilah's everywhere. And you got to be, you got to be on guard for what is persistently coming after you. So the fourth time she comes to him, but this time is different. The first three times, read it in your devotional time, the first three times that she comes to him, she just begs him, tell me where it is, tell me where it is, tell me where it is. But the fourth time is a charm. It's different. She pulls on his emotions. Look at what the text says, verse 15. And she said to him, how can you say, I love you? She pulls on his emotions. And what she does is she makes him remove the fact that he knows she's no good. He, you know how I know he knows she's no good? He knows it because he lied to her three times. If he knew she was good, he wouldn't have lied to her the first time. But he keeps lying to her because he knows that she's no good. He knows she's no good. He knows she's no good. And finally, she says, but if you love me, brothers, if a woman ever says, if you love me, dot, 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 you're about to give up something. Like, you're going to lose that battle. She comes to him, and she pulls on his heartstrings, and she shows him, listen, there is there's an area I can get to him if I get to his emotion. And your weakness will always be exposed when you trust your feelings over facts. Do you hear me? Always. Your weakness will always be exposed. The moment you stop trusting facts and you start getting in your feelings that's when you're, you're, you're exposed with your weakness. That very moment, because he knows over and over again he's lied to her. He knows she's not good. In fact, the first time he lied to her, see, brothers, I would have been like, yo, I told you when you got this room filled up with other dudes. But he doesn't do that. 
He ignores fact. He ignores fact. He ignores fact. And finally, he gets in his own feelings. And let me tell you something about your feelings. Your feelings cannot be trusted. Do you hear me? You know how I know your feelings can't be trusted? You change your feelings over family members at least two or three times. Okay. You don't know if you're feeling the person next to you. Since you came in here, they keep clapping. They keep sitting down. Oh, they're nice, though. They got their Bible open. Oh, they keep talking to me. Like, you don't, your feelings are all over the place. And the problem is you trust you too much. That's your problem. The problem is we are stuck in our feelings instead of being stuck in facts. Let me put a little Bible here. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Here it is. Do not lean to your own understanding. Do not trust your own feelings because your feelings always get you. So the Bible shows us here that she comes to him three times. He lies to her because he excuse me, he knows the fact. But then finally she gets to him and she gets to him through his feelings. And one thing I know about feelings, you know, I searched the scripture over the last two weeks when I was looking at this passage and I knew I was going to come back. And I knew the Lord was really pushing my heart to preach this passage. One of the things I picked up when I was looking through this passage was I said, you know what, let me search and see if the Lord ever spoke to anybody in their feelings or their emotions. I couldn't find an example of God speaking to somebody through their emotions. No one ever said, I feel like the Lord is saying this. God speaks through his word. He speaks through prophets. He speaks through dreams. He speaks through angelic visits. You look in the scripture. He speaks through wise counsel, but he never speaks through your feelings. So do not trust your feelings. You've banked too much on your feelings. Trust fact. You know what's fact? The scriptures. You know what's truth? The scriptures. And if he would have leaned on fact instead of leaning on his feelings, he would have never told her. And this is also why, hear me, young ladies and young men that are single, this is also why you don't date in isolation. Because when you date in isolation, really what you're doing is you're trusting your own feelings. How you got boyfriends and girlfriends that your brothers and sisters in Christ don't know nothing about? We ain't never met them. You like, it's like Tommy having a job. We don't know if it's real, if it's not real. And, and you know what we do? We be like, you know, I don't want nobody in my business. Well, what business do you have that your brothers and sisters can't know? Secretive. And so what you see here. In the text is he's trusting his feelings too much. And I'm telling you, in your relationships, you do, not, do, do not lean on trusting your own feelings. You need somebody else that can check you. Because what we'll do is we'll say, but he loves me. But we need to see. You need to get some brothers around to see if he really does love you. Kiki, do you love me? We need to see that. <laughs> and you need some brothers to say, I don't know if he really feeling you like that. You feeling him hard, but I don't know if he feeling you the same way. Sisters, same thing. We, you know, we, we, need, we need brothers that are dating sisters that you're in isolation and nobody else knows. You need some sisters in the church, not judgment, but you need some sisters to glance her over. You need some sisters to answer, ask her questions. What, what are your intentions with my brother? Are you really feeling him? Oh, do you know Jesus? Have you, have you shared the gospel with her? You need people in your relationship. Why? Because we date in isolation because we're stuck in our feelings. Samson's in his feelings. And because Samson is in his feelings, he gives up the goods. Let's look back at the text. Look at what he does here. Verse 15, and she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? 
You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all of his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak like other men. Finally, because she keeps saying, I love, tell, tell me you love me, you, you, do you love me? He finally tells her his weakness. If you shave my head, I'm going to break covenant with my God. If I break covenant with my God, all of my strength will lie. Now, you want to know how trifling Delilah is? Delilah's so trifling that in verse 19, the Bible says that she puts him to sleep on her knees. Now, I have no clue what that meant. When I read it, I said, on her knees? What? This has some different connotations in 2018. And the Lord knows I'm a little too immature for this kind of verse to read like this. So I'm trying to figure out what does it mean she, she put him to sleep on her knees. But here's what I found out. It, it probably means she's, she, he, she put him to sleep on her lap. Whatever she did to put him to sleep was so good that Samson slept through a haircut. Like, no, legit. She puts him on her lap. He falls asleep. Here's how trifling she is. She calls another man in the house. And the other man shaves his head. Here's what's crazy. The other three times that, she, that he lied to her, she bound him up. The other three times, she put the fresh corn rolls in his head. But finally, when he tells her the truth, her true colors come out. Get that other dude in here. Shave his head. And it, now he is exposed. Now, here's what's crazy. There's a scary verse in verse 20. If you're taking notes, if you write in your Bible, literally underline verse 20, especially the B part of verse 20, draw a line out and be like, scary. Because this verse, this verse messed me up earlier this week. Look at what it says, the B part of verse 20. It says, it says, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. He's in denial. Watch this. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. It is a scary thing to be going through life and not knowing that the Lord is not with you. It is a scary thing to be operating and think you're doing it in the name of the Lord and the Lord not be with you. It is a scary thing to come to church every single week, go to small group, get in DNA, confess to others your sins and the Lord not be with you. He does not know that the Lord is not with him. Now, now here's the Here's, the, here's what we have to be careful of. We have to be careful because this verse potentially could give us some doctrinal issues. What do I mean by that? The way this verse reads, if you look at the B part of it, it says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. So in the English language, it almost sounds like you could be saved and then the Lord unsave you. But we believe in the perseverance of the saints. We believe that if Jesus saved you, it is impossible to be unsaved. Okay, let, let me put a little Bible here because y'all are looking at me funny. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says it this way, and I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you shall bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here's another one, Romans chapter 11 verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. If God has saved you, you have eternal life. If you don't have eternal life, if he could take back salvation, it's temporary. But we don't have temporary life in Jesus. We have eternal life. Here's what the commentators have said about this verse. 
It does not mean that the Lord left him. What it means is he didn't know that he broke covenant with the Lord. He didn't know his head was shaved, which is why he jumped up and said, I'm going to beat him like other times. He did not know that the covenant with the Lord is broken. That does not mean salvation has left him. Here's how I can prove it to you. Here's how I know he's still saved. Most people preach about Samson and Delilah and only preach that his hair was cut off. Nobody preaches that verse 22, his hair grows back. Hear me. And he kills twice as many Philistines. Nobody preaches that. But what, I'm, what, what the text is showing us is that the Lord didn't leave him as in salvation. He has consequences because of his breaking of the covenant. Does that make sense? So this doesn't mean the Lord will leave you. That doesn't mean that if you mess up. And that's a real word for somebody in here. Because somebody in here came in here and you know you messed up. And if we could lose us, if you could lose it, you would have lost it. You would have been lost it. You think you lost it because of this time? No, you would have lost it at the freak nick for the older ones in here. You would have been lost it. But, but the text doesn't say that he lost his salvation. The text shows us that he does not know that his hair is cut off. Now, there's a couple of things I really, really one major thing I need to point out about this passage. A lesson for identifying your weakness. Samson is weak because his desire for Delilah is deeper than his devotion to God. That's why Samson is weak. Samson is weak because he wants Delilah. He doesn't want God. Here's what's crazy. Samson is faithful to the rules. Like the do's and don'ts of being a Nazarite. I told you earlier, Samson didn't cut his hair. Someone else cut it. Samson didn't drink anything strong. He's upholding to the covenant. Samson didn't touch a dead body. But you know what else Samson didn't do? I read all the judges. Samson never worshipped. Samson never prayed, except at the end of this chapter when he says, put me between the columns. I'm going to fulfill my assignment. That's the only time we see Sam Samson had no devotion to the Lord. He had devotion to the checklist, the do's and don'ts. And here's my, here's my question. Here's been my fear over the last two weeks that I've been praying for you about. Do you have more devotion over the do's and don'ts of Christianity, or do you really love Jesus? Because the way to overcome that weakness is not checking off the list. It's falling more in love with Jesus. Look at our text. Samson has no devotion to the Lord. What does he want? He does not want the Lord. He wants Delilah. And so you, you might be in here going, I don't drink. I don't cuss. I don't smoke. Me and the Lord are good. Are you really good? Do you really love him? Do you really have devotion to him? Are you just trying to check that list? And Samson tried it. He tried to check that list, but he messed up because of his weakness. Why? Because he's not a worshiper. Because he had, he's there. Like, you know how many battles he's won? And nowhere do you see him thanking God for the victories that God gave him. You do not see him saying, thank you, Lord, for helping me defeat them again. He picks up a jawbone of an of a animal and crushes all these Philistines. You do not see him saying, thank you for this strength, Lord. Thank you for leadership. Thank you for helping me to lead this army against the Philistines. He never worships. And I promise you, if you want to identify areas of weakness, look for the areas that you are lacking worship. Look for the areas that you are lacking prayer. Look for the areas where you are trusting the do's and don'ts of Christianity and not trusting Jesus. That's my deepest fear is that you'll get into this cycle of list keeping. But by the way, you can't keep it. You might be keeping it now. But at the, in the total scheme of things, you've messed up so many times with your own list, 
which probably isn't that deep of a list anyway. But you've messed up many, many times over and over again. Look at verse 21. Let's see what else happens. So, so he finally tells her. She puts him to sleep on her knees, whatever that is. He sleeps so good that she, he gets his head shaved off when she called another man in. Now what happens here? Verse 21. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shekels. And he ground at the meal in prison, in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Hear me. Verse 22 is grace. Don't miss that. He messed up in verse 19. But verse 22 God always gives grace. And that's not a license to do whatever you want. We don't abuse grace. If you abuse grace, I'd say check your own Christianity. See if you really love Jesus. Because those who fall in love with Jesus don't abuse grace. We thank God for grace. Because God never saved you with the expectation that you wouldn't mess up. Again, that's a real word for somebody in here. Because somebody came in here and you're still in verse 19. And your hair hasn't grown back yet. And you think... Eddie, I know you want that hair to grow, brother. And, and you, you genuinely think, you genuinely think that, you, that the Lord doesn't love you anymore. But the reality is your hair has the ability to grow back. He, can, he has grace for the areas that you've messed up. Now, here, here's what we really need to do today. Some of you in here, the whole time I'm preaching, you know that area. In fact, it's been secretive. Nobody else has known about this weakness You've been dibbling and dabbling, and you've been coming in here putting in your church face. Here's the reality. You fooled us all. None of us know about this weakness of yours. But yet, you still go back to that weakness, and I promise it's going to take you out. Now, here's where you can rejoice. Jesus always meets us in our weakness. He never meets us in our strength. Don't, don't miss that. Jesus doesn't, like, look at David. Look at Abraham. I mean, look at, the, look at Moses, look at great men of the Bible, look at great men of Scripture. God meets them in times of their weakness. And the reality is God will meet you. He'll, he went so far to meet you in your weakness that he goes to a cross in order to meet you in that weakness. That's how far he'll go. But yet he goes that far, but yet we don't want to fight for that weakness. We don't want to submit it to the Lord, even though it's already been I mean, completely destroyed at a bloody cross. He goes that far to meet you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm not going to take a long time with this. But I know, I, listen to me, I know for a fact that there are many of you in this room that are struggling with your weakness. You came in here struggling. Some of it's public, but a lot of, it, a lot of it's not. Some of it might be sexual and some of it might not be sexual. But whatever it is, if you do not destroy it this morning, this, this afternoon, it will destroy you. And my fear is that you'll keep grinding and keep moving up the corporate ladder and keep being successful. And then it gets exposed in the midst of a public success. That's my fear for you. Stop playing with it. I want to pray for anybody in here. I don't want you to think long and hard about it. I jump right up and jump down here. If you need prayer, I'm just prayer over that weakness. Please come up here. Do not be embarrassed. I don't care if you're working. 
you can stop playing, you can stop singing, you can stop doing the sound. If you need prayer over that weakness, then I see you. Come, come on, let's fill up this altar. Y'all can move on in. I see you getting on your knees. And some of you, that's what it takes. Because we've played with it for so long. We've been so isolated. And we're afraid to tell people. But today, today you need, I pray that you would walk back to your seat, transformed by the power of the gospel. I have no gimmicks, nobody falling out. I'm, I need you to submit it to the Lord today. Father, I pray for every single person that's on this altar. Thank you for the honesty here. Reality is I know that there are some that are still sitting that should be up here. Still got time. Father, I pray for every person up here. There's some real weaknesses, Lord. We, we, I mean, we just, we just do. They, it's not an easy it, like, it's not cookie cutter. It's complex. But, Lord, we've submitted to it. Way, like, we've submitted to Delilah more than we've submitted to you. And we fooled everybody. We made everybody think that we were something that we weren't. Lord, help us. Strong people confess weakness. Help us to confess it. Help us to confess it to you because you said that if we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and you purify us from all righteousness. And every single person that is on this altar today, Lord, is loved by you. You ain't mad at them. You love them and you've shown us that by the cross. Lord, somebody on this altar needs verse 22. We need the hair to begin to grow again. Somebody on this altar doesn't need to just confess the sin to you. We need to confess it to each other because we need accountability. We need somebody that's going to be checking on us. Help us to be walked, to be transformed. Help us to be so in love with you and not so in love with the list. Help us to put our reputation on the line because we want you not whatever we were submitting our life to. Help us because we need you. We desperately are desiring you, Lord. Struggle will continue. We, it's not a magical pill coming to the altar. Lord, we know that when we walk back, we got to fight because Monday morning is still going to be there. It doesn't wipe it clean. But the cross does show us that you broke the power of sin over our life, which means we have power to overcome that area. Father, I'm, Lord, I'm praying that we would walk in freedom, that we walk not in conviction, but in love with you. Help every single person on this altar and the ones that did not come for your glory, for your honor. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Can we thank God for every single person? I, I generally, as we move to a time of communion, I just got to say, you know, it, it's important for us never, when it comes to altar calls, never put your stock in the fact that you came up. You need to put your stock in the fact that Jesus is able 
to really change what is that, that one area or two areas or three areas that you came up here for. So my, my hope and prayer is that you genuinely would take it serious, that you would confess it to somebody else, talk to somebody else, cry it out with somebody else. Let somebody else know the real you, not the church you. The real you. Let somebody know that you. Why? Because we need Jesus. We can't, listen to me, you cannot overcome that area outside of Jesus Christ.